This is, uh, you guys have come a long way. It's so good to have you. So this is my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky. So welcome. And this is my home church for the last 34 years for my family. And um, so I practiced dentistry about a mile down the road for 26 years. The Lord released me from that, and I became the missions pastor at this church uh, for 12 years. So I retired about a year and a half ago. And um, my pastor said, you went from the frying pan to the fire. I was going from a dentist to a pastor. So, um, yeah, dentistry is a little easier, I will say, than being a pastor. So, well, it's good to have you guys. How many of you, this is your first time here? Oh, my goodness. This always blows me away. How did you hear about this conference? Just throw out some answers. Mentors? Church? Okay. On the mission field, you heard about it? Yeah? This church, I mean, not this church, well, indirectly this church, this conference really plays a key role in people going to the mission field long term, especially healthcare workers. So, yeah, it's so good to have you guys. But every year it's like this. It's all, half the participants are, it's their first time. So, and it's a great opportunity to connect with people, and um, it's unsurpassed in healthcare missions. If you can't find what you're looking for here, I'm not sure it exists. And um, even if you're not in healthcare missions, this is an amazing place to connect with people. So, yeah, I'll just wait just a few minutes and let a few more walk in. Hello, virtual guys. So we're on on uh, being streamed somehow. Hey, before we start, we're going to talk about a phrase called gospel patron. Who knows what that is? Raise your hand. Gospel patron. It's actually a book written about it. You guys don't know what, you've not heard that. Well, I'm glad you're here because you're going to hear a little bit about it. So I'd like for you to meet one, a gospel patron. Actually, I have a gospel patron. So this is somebody in your life that, that has encouraged you, that's helped you out financially, that's been there when things are tough. And um, so for 40 years, I've been in business with this guy. And we had uh, many businesses. We ended up selling them about five years ago. When I came to church, he said, you go to church and do your thing there. I'll run the business. So my gospel patron is right there in the back corner. Mike Spencer, stand up, Mike. Yeah, no, he, he's a little bashful, but um, he, he's been such a, a good friend. You know, in 40 years of business, we never had a good fight. That's pretty amazing. That's from my perspective. That's what the cough's about. So uh, one time he hung up on me, but the next day I said, what was that about? And he goes, I don't know. So anyway, all right, let's get started. We're going to talk about where do, where do we fit in in this present mission landscape. So. Let me pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this conference, and I thank you for all the work, because I know what it takes to put this on, and I thank you for the energy you give volunteers and staff. Uh, the encouragement is to, to have this conference hosted at our church. It's a huge privilege, Lord, so thank you for that. So we invite you, Lord, this week to speak to us, to guide us, to connect us to people you want us to connect with. 
And Lord, you're going to say some things to us this week that um, you don't want us to forget. So we pray we remember what you show us. Uh, and we pray for uh, Saturday afternoon when there are going to be some decisions made. And so, Lord, uh, thank you that you're present for that. So from our time together, Lord, we pray that there would be friendships and partnerships develop and deepen that would lead to many people coming to faith in our Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I ask you to use me um, to share the things that are on your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, what's the... You guys want to sit down? or I personally like the very last seat in the classroom whenever I was in a classroom, so... So, unreached people groups, um, there's somewhat debate about it, but in the year 2000, we had about 3,500 unreached people groups. And by 2017, we're down to 2,000. This year, we're down to 100, less than 100 unreached people groups. Um, A friend of mine who works with the Finishing Fund said it's actually less than 50 unreached people groups. These are people groups that have not yet heard the gospel, where there's not yet been a believer in that people group. So this is somewhat debatable. I just talked to a guy in the hallway who completely refuted everything I just said. So we're just going to live with that tension. And uh, so you go with what you think. But this is not unrefutable. Bible translation has accelerated dramatically. Um, By the year 2035, every language on earth will have um, the New Testament in their language including 400 deaf languages. That's a major feat. About 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, the translation, Bible translation ministries came together, united, and they have done an amazing work. So, But, you know, we really stand on the shoulders of our forefathers who two and three hundred years ago packed their stuff in their casket and went off to foreign lands and uh, to take the gospel where it wasn't. So when we look at this map today, this is the work they've done. In 1900, 82% of all believers lived in North America and Europe. Look at it today. The Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia has exploded because of the work of those missionaries, many of them martyrs, to take the gospel to these countries. So because of their work, um, we get to stand on their shoulders. So... Uh, and this is a beautiful map when you really sit. I just love to sit and look at that and think about all that God has done through those guys. You know, it's like the church has been this war for 2,300 years that's been raging against our arch enemy. And the enemy's on the run. Uh, and as we look at this map, we can see all the reinforcements that are coming in from the global south uh, to to finish this task and bring final victory. So you can tell in the new level level of desperation that you see in the enemy. He's pulling out all stops, um, but we're closer to victory than ever. So one of the key things that's going to bring victory going forward is unity within the global church. Um, That's the foundation for our success. So the Bible speaks to this a lot about Um, how we're to love one another. Um, We're one church, one Lord, one baptism. 
We're members of one body. And each part of the body has been given a designated purpose and assigned a task and work to do. And so Jesus knew we would need each other for this mission he assigned us. Our adversary is formidable. Thus, his prayer for oneness. The same oneness he had with the Father. The ultimate oneness. That's what he calls the church to be. And his work, his word instructs us that our, our mindset should be, and our heart should be set. The global church is one church, and we, we go together. And so unity requires humility. And without humility, we have nothing but a fruitless ego trip. So God is zealous for his glory. Humility and unity keeps the glory where it belongs in him. So, like when you read the scriptures, especially the epistles, isn't it the sweetest thing to see how much Paul loved the church he's speaking to, whether it's Ephesus or Thessalonica or Corinth? He just loved, now, Galatia, he wasn't so happy with those guys, but it was all in love. But he just had this, this love and an admiration for the, the brothers and sisters in those church. And the churches had the same thing for him. And I think that's what God's calling us to. And that this love, one for another, is what is going to drive our, our success. You know, we, we have a lot of scriptures, submit to one another, do nothing out of vacancy, put in, but in humility considers others more important than yourselves. Appreciate the gifts that God has put in our brothers and sisters while recognize your own, our own blind spots. And then the ultimate command uh, where, and Jesus says in, in Psalms 133, um, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity, for there the Lord commands a blessing. Like that feels like more than just a blessing. That feels like he commands a blessing. And uh, that's what unity does for us. So this season, that's, what we're, that's where we are. And you remember the proverb, I don't know if it's Chinese or African, maybe it's Indian. Um, if, you go, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that has never been more true than it is today. So one of the principles that guide us is um, this concept called the three C's. So you know the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. Do you know what the third one is? Nobody? Okay. All right, we'll get to that. So that's a little secret. So it's the great concern. So when the gospel is presented and shared, and it can be presented in a lot of ways, it's important that we exercise all three simultaneously. You know, as human beings, we're physical, spiritual, emotional, social beings. And the gospel calls us to love the whole person. So when we we think about an, uh, emotional struggles, and now especially post-COVID, we see it everywhere. Anxiety, anger, depression, addiction. God wants to deal with that. Um, he wants us to enjoy him fully. Social struggles like racism, tribalism, our criminal justice system, church splits. I can't, that's got to kill God when a church splits. But those are issues that that um, he wants us to deal with. And that's what we're talking about with the great concern. You know, our adversary comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life. And in all areas of our life, 
emotionally, socially, physically, spiritually. So we take a hard look in the mirror at our churches now, we're really struggling emotionally and socially. And these are the very things that God wants to deal with. So here's the great concern. It comes from Matthew 25. Let me read this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And what did the righteous say? Lord, when did we do that? We, we don't even know what you're talking about. When you were sick or when you were in prison or when you needed food, when was that? And Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So I, I would contend that this is a very short list that he's put in Matthew 25. That there's a lot more to it than that. And, for example, I would say... People, you could say, hey, we're in a civil war for over 14 years. The trauma was overwhelming. You came and you taught the church how for us to deal with this trauma, and it helped us a lot. It gave us freedom. I wanted to start a small business, but I didn't have the capital. You provided the capital. Now you help restore my dignity. Children were dying needlessly in our community. You came and taught the church how to prevent some of these diseases, and now children aren't dying like they used to. I was an eight-year-old little boy in elementary school in the U.S., and you sent a mentor to me to meet with me every week. And for the first time, I feel like somebody sees me. I was 14 years old, and I was pregnant, and you walked with me. And you love me. And you care for me. And let's pause there just a second. One of the things that the American church loves too much is the sizzle. And I'm all for the sizzle. Our church supports five or six pregnancy centers in our community. And it's a needed work. But I can't help but think, when that 14-year-old girl comes in pregnant... Where was the church when she was six or seven? What it takes to mentor a six or seven-year-old, almost everybody can do. But a 14-year-old girl pregnant in a crisis, it gets much tougher. So I would say the church has to get upstream to these problems in our own communities. I'm not talking internationally, but I think that's what God wants us to do. You know, I was a single mom. I wanted a safe place to raise my kids, and you provided for it. And so these, this list could go on and on and on. And I think uh, our previous plenary speaker spoke well about building bridges. But here's the key. If we do the great concern all by itself, it's called social justice. And God is all about social justice. But he's not all about just doing social justice or humanitarian aid. We have to do the great concern in combination with the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. So the last example I'm going to use tells part of my story. Our community was suffering with dental pain, 
And you equip the church to meet our own dental needs in our own community. So let me tell you my story. So I, it's 2003. I love short-term missions. I was a dentist, and um, I, I got a lot of, I, I saw myself being used by God with the skills he had given me. And when you see yourself being used by God, then you start to go deeper with God, and you go deeper with Jesus. So it's the summer of 2003. I'm with my family in Jamaica, and you guys, many of you have been there. It's the last day of a medical dental mission trip, and you've got to get on a bus in about an hour. <clears throat> and there's still lots of people to be seen. So I'm working away, and I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn around, and it's my friend Paul Reese. He goes, uh, Charlie, there's still about 100 people out there. What am I supposed to tell them? I said, I don't know, Paul. we got to leave in an hour. I don't know what you're going to tell them. So I went back to work. So I'm working away. I get another shoulder tap about 10 minutes later, and I turn around. I said, what on earth? And it's Paul Reese again. But this time he's crying like a baby. I said, Paul, what are those tears about? He said, no, I need for you to tell me. What am I supposed to tell those people? They're still 85. I just counted them. So I hadn't fully realized what we had been doing. Until I saw Paul's tears. Because he had spent the week with them. He knew their stories. He listened to the mom talk about listening to her 15-year-old son cry himself to sleep every night with tooth pain. And she could do nothing for him. Many people walked seven and eight hours just to get there in the hope that somebody would see them. And we were just going to nonchalantly say, sorry for your luck. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll come back next year or something. And... Um, so through Paul's tears, I was really impacted. So I said, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. You know, I don't think that's the way God would do things. Or we would come and treat a few and then leave most people untreated. And So as God would have it, I met this guy named Steve Saint. Has anybody heard of Steve Saint? Okay. So he's one of the best ambassadors for Christ I've ever seen. So he had the same burden I now had, and he'd had it for a long time. He goes, something needs to be done. Why don't we go and um, there's something different has to be done. So Steve shows up at our church. He's been working on this problem. He made a video, a training video, that would go cross-culturally on like infection control and how disease gets passed, how to sterilize instruments. It was pretty good, and he made, what was best was he made a dental chair that was portable, and it looked like you meant business. This was, this was a nice chair, and it was, you could throw it on your back and could go. So we went to lunch, and Steve said to me, Hey, Charlie, why, why are you um, going and doing dentistry? Why don't you teach them how to do it? I thought to myself, are you outside your mind? I said, it took me four years to figure out how to do this, and, and how am we going to train somebody in six days? That's crazy. So um, I didn't say that out of respect, but... Uh, but, you know, the thing about Steve, he just let, let it lay. He didn't respond. He just let it. He just planted that seed. So it occurred to me when I was in dental school, it was just they paired up students and we gave each other injections. That's how we learned. When it was time to extract a tooth, the student a year ahead of me actually showed me how to do it. Then it was just a matter of doing it a bunch. So I thought, hmm, that video is pretty cool. That chair is really nice. Maybe this will work. So I called a friend of mine in northern Ghana. Tomalee, has anybody been to Tomalee? Jack said, okay, yeah. My friends have been to Tomalee. So it's a northern Ghana, a Muslim community. 
One part-time dentist for three, three million people. The need is overwhelming. So we, we go there and we try it and like, wow. After six days, they had taken out more teeth than I had taken out in four years of dental school. They, by the fifth day, they were getting pretty competent. So when we left, we left all the instruments I'd use in my dental office here, sterilization, everything. And we told them, don't take out lower third molars because the bone is really dense around lower third molars. If you're not sure you can take the tooth out, don't even start because you don't want to leave root tips because that's a source of infection. And I came back a year later, and they've been seeing patients three days a week and like, wow, this is pretty amazing how gifted they are. But it gave them a door opener for the gospel. So one of the pastors I trained, he, he taught me something. I didn't always really understand how these gifts of healthcare, and it doesn't have to be healthcare. It could be engineering, it could be horse training, it doesn't matter. These can be leveraged for the kingdom. And he said, he was an evangelist, he goes, you know, when a patient lays down on that dental chair on their back and they open their mouth, they're very vulnerable. And when they let you put your hands in their mouth, they're saying to you indirectly, that they trust you. And so when they trust you with that, they'll trust you with the gospel. It's such an easy step. And and so and the other thing is when you have that relationship, you are no longer casual acquaintances. You're friends for life. You can't pass each other on the street and say and not wave to each other. So um, when I went back the second year, I said, okay, we, we this is pretty amazing. And if you look at the world, access to health care is almost non-existent in heavily Muslim, heavily Hindu areas, especially for the poor. And so this gives us an opportunity to do that. So the next year after that, I said, okay, I called my friend Caleb. By the way, Caleb, will you stand up, please? This is Caleb Rayapati from India near Hyderabad. So it's good to have two perspectives, um, you know, American and international perspective. So we called him. We did the same thing there, and um, he'll tell you the rest of the story. But, you know, Jesus always used health care in his own ministry. He used healing. He healed the blind man. He healed so this skills that we have is, is just an amazing opportunity to, to help others. You know, God is a very strategic God. Just look where he put the nation of Israel. Right along the trade routes, north and south, east and west, so the gospel could take those trade routes. But as Americans, strategically, we might not always be a, a good fit. Um, we have one language. We, we kind of have this culture we're really proud of. Um, Politically, we have a lot of baggage, um, and so, but we have this amazing, amazing educational system that we, as followers of Jesus, learn all kinds of cool things that we can share in the mission field. So, another part of strategy is what's the best group to go to a mission field? For example, Haiti. I was talking to a missionary from Haiti last night. You know, there's no more American missionaries in Haiti. They're all gone. Well, it wasn't that long ago. There were over 10,000 NGOs in Haiti. So 
we recognize that Haitians perceive Americans as um, rich, and we like to give free stuff away to our own fault. Some of this dependency and poverty in Haiti, we uh, I feel like we have a responsibility for. Because it's, when the earthquake hit Haiti in 2012, <clears throat> we rushed in with all kinds of short-term teams offering free health care and free food. So what's a local grocer supposed to do? How's he going to compete with free food? Or how's the local physician going to compete with free health care? They can't. But it's always short-term and we get some fatigue and we leave and we leave people sometimes worse than we, we left them. So that's an example of so in this case, we didn't send American missionaries after the earthquake. We sent East Africans. Same culture. Haitians view Africans as, oh, you're from the yard. Like, what? The yard? Well, Haitians and Jamaicans see Africa as the yard. And they're not part of the yard, but when somebody comes from the yard, they're highly esteemed. And, and so, also, Kenyans are much better at dealing with poverty and dependency than we are so you see being strategic about it makes a lot more sense because we have this global church family that we can now access these workers that god has has raised up the last 120 years to engage in the in the mission process so um saudi arabia 15 years ago there were 50 intentional workers for the gospel that's it. The epicenter of Islam. Can you imagine? And we only had 50 intentional workers for the gospel. But they love Americans. They hate infidels. We're infidels, but as far as infidels go, we're one of their favorites. So that's a great place to, to send Americans. In our own city in West Louisville, we wanted to develop partnerships with the suburban church. We're like a suburban church and the urban West Louisville church, which is predominantly black. Well, it was an African that we hired on staff that opened the door for us to have great relationships with the West Louisville churches. So you see how God uses different parts of the bodies with different assignments, and we all got to go together. And we always want to make the local church the hero. That, that will never change. So another great way, and you guys are going to have all kinds of opportunity. Who's in here thinking long-term missions? Going to the field. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, um, so when I sit down and I talk to sending agencies, leaders, I say, why is it that Americans go to the mission field and they're coming back before their term is up? And he, he didn't deny it. He said, yeah, it's a problem. But he says the, the reason is that the mission fields are getting harder and the Western church is getting softer. I think that's probably pretty accurate. The main reason that people come back early from, the, from their term is because of spiritual warfare. And uh, so more important than your raising financial support is raising prayer support. That should be a huge focus. And the other thing is if, if you go long term and you can come alongside local, the local believers, that will sustain you and create a beautiful partnership. Who's heard of Scatter Global? A few of you, yeah, okay, good. So, Scatter Global is an offshoot of Operation Mobilization. And what they've decided to do, they want to go to closed countries like Saudi Arabia, and they want to post people in jobs in those 
in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, other closed countries. So as a physician or an engineer or a teacher or English speaker, you can take a job in Saudi Arabia. They'll hire you and live on mission. You don't have to fundraise because you're going to get paid. You don't look funny as a missionary. Like People could ask, why, why are you here? How do you make money? You don't have a job? How, how can you survive? So the missionaries will say, well, there's friends in America that send us money. They pay you to be here? I want that job. How can I get that job? So this gets through that, that little bit of a hurdle. So, but, um, yeah, it's exciting. And this place will, uh, will help you with that big time. So I want to talk a little about, I mentioned the gospel patron. I mentioned my friend Michael back there as a gospel patron. These are people who generously, their generosity has changed the world. Um, this is a book, Gospel Patron. This is a phenomenal way to, um, to love the church around the world. Even though they're dead, God still speaks through these gospel patrons. These are backstage VIPs that nobody knows about that have stepped up to help people like William Tyndale, who was actually Humphrey Monmouth, that helped William Tyndale translate the Bible from Latin to English. They were both imprisoned. Tyndale was killed for doing that. Billy Graham and things like that. So what I like to do is bring my friend Caleb up and share a little bit about, from his perspective, some of the things we've talked about. Snap that on your lapel there. The idea behind our time together is that we would have a a brief uh, discussion time, and then we'll have lots of questions, hopefully. Talking about the gospel passion, I can immediately think of three aspects, um, three ways. Number one, the gospel passion to me was Southeast Missions. Um, Keep going. You and um, Steve Saint mm-hmm. came together and thought our pastor's skills, given us dental skills that we are using now. And uh, how we are using is a big story. And the time will not be sufficient for me to showcase what we are doing, but then you have done that. And then... Not only you, but then you have allowed the um, Christ body here to come work alongside us, equip us, enable us, and encourage us in every sense of the word. And one person that I can think of is Chris Leboff. I believe he went to the missions and said, I want to get involved in missions. Where would I, uh, where can I go? And how can I be used? And the mission said, we have a a partner in India with whom you can connect and help. And Chris Liboff came alongside with us. He not only came in person encouraging our pastors, 
but also he has been financially supporting us throughout and um, that's been i would consider him also as a gospel patron and um, the end effect is we have been so equipped that uh, we are carrying on our own um, mission fields we are reaching out to our own people as you have rightly said haiti no more american missionaries even in india we don't have any western missionaries they have all been sent out and um, we are reaching out to our own people that's our mission and uh, patterns like this are enabling us to move on and move on more effectively and we have i mean our traditional approach is you know i used to do a lot of it street corner preaching distributing tracts and um, showing the movies so on and so forth all that was good but the relevancy of that is uh, diminished and uh, i sense that we're meeting the needs felt needs among the people has more impact and that is more relevant and in that context the dentistry has come in as a great tool for us and um, our pastors that are trained are now have excelled now they not only practice it they open their churches as a church clinics um they have become trainers themselves so that's for me is to be a gospel patron So tell us a little bit about um where you minister. What's the persecutions? What's the persecution like? Um how do you get away with um non-professionals doing dentistry? Okay, I Are those good questions? Okay. okay. I live in a city called Hyderabad, but I'm focused on a on a, on a province called Telangana, which is more south central of India. India as you all know is predominantly Hindu and we also have a huge huge percentage of Muslims Islam in India and uh, <clears throat> the persecution is rampant i can say i can boldly say though i'm being recorded um both seen and unseen um it's um it's um, it's a challenge for us but we are committed uh, even to lay down our lives for Christ's sake we literally mean that and um, <clears throat> when we began to practice this dentistry there were people have received bang on the table people received the gospel while that is one side of it there were also question marks people um question like how how can these grassroots pastors be the dentists uh dentists one day i got a letter from the police department police department used our pastors to go to one very interior uh forest to do this dental camps 
And then they sent me a thank you letter saying, thank you for sending Dr. Sunil, Dr. Ratnakar, Dr. I said, when did these guys become doctors? <laughs> so the, the, the work, the impact of these uh, pastors are doing is so much. Even the police department sent me a thank you letter calling them, identifying them as dentists. In one case, Sunil, Pastor Sunil works in another remote town. And uh, there, there is a semblance of medical facilities. The government doctors are there, but no dentists, no dental facilities. The government doctors, physicians, um, and then uh, <clears throat> the other doctors, when they sense the people that come to their hospitals have tooth issues, they send them to our church, Pastor Sunil. To, so, so that uh, God is helping us um, um, and, uh, because of the efficiency, the skills that we demonstrate, God is helping us to overcome those hurdles, legal hurdles. And uh, I've also, God also has given me one thought, that is to allow these pastors that are trained in dentistry also to undertake St. John's Ambulance Training. It's a five-level um, five training uh, by Red Cross that is certified to um, provide first aid skills. So I'm using that as a cover to see that this dental uh, dentistry is carried out. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you, Caleb. Yeah. So you would say that the, it's, the percent of Christians in your area is less than 10%? Um, it's 3%. 3%. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. So, so you understand this is a big deal. This is why partnership is so important. Because I, I, as Americans, we can't deal with the legal issues in India, but Caleb can. And there's certifications that are unique that they can get there that we wouldn't know a thing about that will allow them to do this without any hindrance. So I have a picture. I wish I had it. It's this clinic that the local doctors are often in this community. And there's Pastor Sunil with his white coat on, you know, that he's a doctor. And I said, Sunil, you're not a doctor. You know, these guys went to school. You well, that's what they call me, so I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's really good. So They do much better job than the so-called doctors, even Charlie. <laughs> even Charlie, okay. Now, wait a second, I thought the master could never be outdone by his student or something like that. Isn't something so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does say that, okay. All right, thank you, Caleb, very much. So... So this, is a, this has been done with healthcare too. Like there's ministries here at the conference. Uh, one is the, the, really the father of all of them was ITEC, that was Steve Saint, and now his son Jamie uh, runs that. And they are, are taking the, these skills and many other skills to frontier churches. So now the church is much more relevant to its community. And anything we can do as followers of Jesus to make our brothers and sisters more relevant in their community is a big deal. So, um, so there's medical skills. There's a ministry called Teach to Transform. 
that focuses on healthcare, farming, uh, and these are all real skills that, are, that really make a big difference in these communities. So, Caleb, just so you know, how many churches do you have, Caleb? 120. 120 churches that he uh, kind of shepherds um, over about how many pastors? 25 pastors. So most of the pastors have multiple churches. So when we go and train in India now, who's the first one I call to train with us? His boys. Say, hey, you, can you send a couple? So, because these Americans will say, we're not going to take that tooth out. That, these guys can't take that tooth out. Well, these guys have been taking them out for 19 years, and they'll, they'll get it out. So um, it's super easy mission trip for dentists because you really don't – you teach a little bit, and you're, like, just patting people on the back and watching them go. And, and so one of the things that we should ask is, um, do, have you had many complications – 19 years of doing dentistry, you know, never had a complication. That's a little hard to believe, honestly, I'm going to tell you, because <laughs> I do, and I have complications. So, But I think Indian people are tougher, but um, there's, there's no doubt about that. We had a dental student who was going with us, and um, he said in their dental school, every day they have complications. He said, you do so much. Out in the open, in these situations, how come there is not a simple problem? Well, yeah, that's pretty simple, right? God's grace is far-reaching, yeah. So, okay, so that, let me just summarize real quick. Serving long-term, I'm so excited that so many of you guys raised your hand. So uh, we just need to send you well as the American church, and we need to focus on um, on prayer big time. You know, short-term missions, you can go and do dentistry like I used to do, and you can have a powerful impact. But if you go to frontier areas where the gospel has been very, had, has been, had the least penetration, you go and teach, it's super powerful. We always want to mobilize. Whenever we go on a trip, I always want to shoulder tap a friend. These are classmates from, you know, I graduated middle school 40 years ago now. Yeah, 41 years ago. And so I'm, these guys, they're retired, like, come on, let's go. And they love it. So, and the gospel patron's a big deal. Um, Chris LaBeouf that he's talking about, a dear friend of mine, always was concerned about Caleb, always concerned about the pastors, stepped up uh, to give financially, stepped up to encourage. He would do Bible studies. He wrote Bible studies, and he would go over that with the pastors. So those are big deals. And then so this, this opportunity this week is to uh, enjoy the opportunities to meet this network that's amazing. Yeah. I just sit in meetings in awe of what God is doing around the world here through healthcare missions, and it's going to just keep going. So, okay, that sums up the lecture part. So, what kind of questions do you have? Yeah, okay. If you go to the iTech, the question was, what kind of training do you have for healthcare or nurses that they can go and provide care? So go see iTech and go see TTT, and they'll, you'll see extensively what they have. It's really extensive. There's a question in the back.
Okay, that's a great question. Okay, the question was, uh, how do we partner effectively uh, in a country when we're not familiar with their laws, and how, who do we train, uh, and how do we go about that? So it starts with a relationship with that partner that, that uh, you, can, you can say yes or no. So when I went to Caleb, I just said, Caleb, I got this idea. What do you think? He goes, Charlie, I, you know, I don't know. I'm having people tell me this is a bad idea uh, to do this. So I said, well, you have to deal with the legal responsibilities because we're going to be coming back to the States. How do you deal with that? Depending on what country you're in, if it's a, if it's a country that um, has had little penetration of the gospel, we probably have been there and served there. And so that partner can go and see what it looks like from these other ministries after doing this for 20 years, and that's a great way for them to find out. But it's their responsibility to find out. Early on, there was times we'd go and we'd train somebody and they were really good. Well, we can't do this because the law won't allow us. Well, it would have been good to know that before we came. And so we learned how to ask the right questions and see. So, great question. What other questions do you have? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so the question is, can we use this model in the, in the U.S.? The dental model, if no. But the great concern is vast. So, and the community is looking for somebody to address their felt needs. So in our community, it was our teachers and our school system was saying, we're overwhelmed. We need help. Our students now, post-COVID, can't deal with, they have no resilience. So we're dealing with all these discipline problems and emotional problems and social problems. Can you come help us? That's real for our community. So for us, it was, we're going to train church members to go and mentor four kids once a week for an hour. And what's happening is these mentors are falling in love with these kids. And so when they move to another school the next year, mentors, they don't care. I'm going with this kid. I'm in love with this kid. And this kid needs love. So that's just one example. So part of the great concern is, is to figure out what is the felt need in that community. What's the community saying is the felt need? Not what an outsider is saying, what the community is saying. And then you can look at models all around the country and see, hey, what if we implemented this program? The mentoring came from Tony Evans' church in Oak Cliff, Oak Cliff in Dallas. We, it was just a copy and paste. And they're glad to help figure that out. So does that make sense? Yeah, okay. It's a big problem for refugees. We're, uh, my, uh, my friend told, me, told us last night that Louisville is the fifth largest city in the country that intake of refugees. Well, the big problem is housing. They have no place to stay. So some friends of mine said, we're going to set up investment opportunities. We're going to buy 200-unit apartment complexes that were built in the 70s and 80s. We're going to find some limited partners who will put the cash up. We're going to manage it really well, and everybody's going to make money. But now the church can come in here and do anything they want to do among the refugees. Now, that's a great model to use business and ministry to have an impact in a community. So, What else? What other questions do you have?
Yes, ma'am. question and um, yeah and it's it's a challenge but you can do it and here's one of the things that we talked about in this is like the body of Christ is strong when we submit one to another and we don't come in with all the power and all the finances and say here's the idea of what we want to do well what are they going to say we don't have anything so if you're going to bring us something even a short term trip we'll make a little money please come but when you get to a relationship where you can say yet, yes or no, when I went to Caleb, if he said no, I'm totally fine with that. So that's the level of partnership that you're looking at. But sometimes I think Americans think that, um, honestly, we're just a little bit arrogant. And honestly, it's the sweetest thing. When we see a problem, we want to fix it. And like, Maybe we should talk to God about the problem because he sees it better than we do. Let's talk to him first before we go in and fix it. So it's, it's relationship building. It's um, being slow to partner and being slow uh, and, and learning together how to do things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's possible. But I think we have to esteem our brothers and sisters around the world first. They know the problems. They are closer to the problems. They have better solutions than we do. So, does that make sense at all? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Surely this crowd has a few more questions. I'm sorry. So that, the question was, do you see the way American church approaches missions in the last five years of shifting? Is that a fair paraphrase of your question? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. We, this is a generous church. Like 25% of every penny that comes in goes back outside this church. There's a few things we do joint ventures with. So um, it just depends on the church. If you value relationship, and this church does, then you want to figure these problems out. And it's actually when our church started about 15 years ago, sitting with our our partners then to say, how can we best serve you? And we mean it. We're not just saying it as a cliche. How can we best serve you? They started teaching us. This stuff that I'm sharing with you, it came from ministries in Africa. It didn't come from Americans. So the great concern probably started here, but it's exploited big time. In Africa, because the needs are so great. So there needs to be a shift. Because I think Hudson Taylor said, when you do God's work God's ways, way, it attracts his resources. And if you don't, the opposite is true. If you don't do God's work God's way, it won't attract his resources. So I think it's, it gets back to these fundamental things of seeing the body as one big church, uh, valuing 
the, the, the parts of the body that, that all come together and understanding our roles as a part of the body of Christ. To whom much is given, much is expected. We've been given a lot of money. You go down the East Coast and West Coast of Florida, you see all those condos down there? These are million. They're everywhere. We have so much affluence here. So we need to share that in wise ways with our, our brothers and sisters around the world. So do I think it's shifting? I hope it's shifting. I hope we always get better and better and better. Will we ever arrive? Probably not. But I can tell you, I was 12 years in this position, and we, we learned a lot in 12 years, and we changed a lot. So much so that, like, if we had an issue with um, Muslim evangelism, we wouldn't send an American to teach that. We, su- we sent a Nigerian to teach people how to witness to Muslims. Because he, he was a far better resource than anything we saw in America. So it's that kind of thing that we're talking about. All right. How, how much time do we have? Okay. Great. Seven minutes. What other questions? Yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. And, that, you know, that's a, that's a good point. There's really good ones. Um, yeah, like if you take a gap year, yeah, there's all kinds of opportunities. So I think it starts with if you know your calling, it makes it a lot simpler. And if the Lord has spoke, spoke to you. And, you know, it's not unusual to not know our calling. But when you come to places like this and you talk to people and you, you listen to these, these speakers like we just had, you start to, that starts to come to you. So absolutely, there's opportunities. Does anybody else want to speak to that, like midterm opportunities? Yes. Yes. So I'm localized for African mission. Okay. And for us, um, our short term is built much for less. So we, we, we really don't do two weeks. Our minimum is maybe a month. And so there, there are many other organizations that mobilize. Um, they have their own time Yeah, you guys need to hook up. See, that's what we have here. Like, you guys are amazing resources just being in this room. So, um, yes, ma'am. AIM, African Inland Mission, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so. Yes, sir. Yeah. I think the best way to mobilize people is is that you shoulder tap. I saw I heard someone say maybe they're in this room um, taking people from short term missions now take them to long term missions and that may happen at some level. But I think it's a it's a personal thing that God has to call you into. I think my experience as a missions pastor here is. If you want people to frame up houses in the parking lot, that's pretty easy. If you want people to pack meals, that's, that's pretty simple, low-level stuff. If you want somebody in your church to go spend an hour a week in a school mentoring kids, that requires a little bit more hand-holding. But if you're there to hold their hand and you do that for three or four months, they are in. The retention rate in our mentoring program is off the chart. It's like 90% say, yep, I'm, I'm re-upping for next year. So um, 
The challenge is, like, our bureaucracy in our church is a little tough, so you've you got to use parachurch organizations to support the local church. And so that's, what, that's how we operate our mentoring program. So I think uh, prayer is a big, big deal. Um, you know, we are, my, my um, <laughs> when I was on staff, my, the senior pastor would call me and say, hey, I need some information. I've got a sermon in a couple hours. I said, okay. He goes, how many missionaries do we send out of our church? I said, 100, like 104 at the time. 104. He goes, ouch. That's not very many for, like, we're over 30,000 people. I said, yeah, you know, we've been praying for 200, and this is what we got. So I think it has to be part of the vision of the church to be, to be mobilized, to, to mobilize folks. And that's coming at our church. And if the church doesn't have that vision, then, and it doesn't start at the top, then it's not going to happen. One of the most effective ways we got that is to take our senior pastor on a mission trip. And um, see him just minister with people, that's a big deal. That's another really effective way. So, yeah. Mobilize is hard. Yes? I think that's a good point. Retire, we, I really didn't address that retirees because, like, we support f- over 50 local ministries in our city, and every one of them is looking for board members, somebody that will pray, that will advocate, that will provide leadership. And retirees, they have that. So that's another great way. And now they can be passionate about it. So, Okay, I'm told my time is up. One last question. No, no questions? Great. Okay, let me pray. Father, grateful for our time together. Thank you, Lord, uh, that Holy Spirit, you just took over. And I just pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, that uh, you would speak to them, that you would impress upon them, that you would introduce them to people, that all that you plan for them will be fulfilled through their life. Jesus, would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen.